All right, and welcome to the fourth episode of the To Comply or Not To Comply podcast. I'm your host, AJ Yan, the founder and CEO of ByteCheck, the only all-in-one compliance solution in the market. I'm super excited about today's episode, joined by Jim Goldman, co-founder and CEO of Trava. Jim, thanks for joining me. You are so welcome. It's nice to be here, AJ. Yep, you're calling in from cold Indiana. You know, it's uh, I think it's like 75 outside in Miami today. So we both have a little bit of different situations going on outside of our house. But Jim, for the folks out there that are listening in and are getting to know you for the first time, give us an overview of yourself and your background. You bet. I would start by saying that I've been doing cybersecurity pretty much since there was a cybersecurity you know, that, that's how I guess I, I would start with an introduction. You know, I got my start in IT when it was still being called MIS, Management Information Systems. I was a director of Management Information Systems. They weren't yet calling them CIOs for a couple of different companies on the East Coast. And then in 1991, there was a opening, uh, an opportunity for a faculty position at Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana, to teach a single course in what at the time they were calling data communications. And, you know, because of the companies that I'd worked for out east, they'd had a need for long distance networking. And and I call it that because people don't realize, you know, this was before the internet, before TCP IP. It was still against the law to hook a modem to the phone network, you know, AT&T had a monopoly, et cetera. People are probably scratching their heads and saying, what is he talking about? But it really was challenging to get computers to talk to each other over long distances. And I was one of the people that had figured out how to do it. And and so I thought, oh, data communications, that sounds cool. So um, I ended up applying for and taking the faculty position at Purdue. And just by timing and circumstance and so forth, uh, I ended up developing the entire network engineering degree program at Purdue University over a period of years. Well, pretty quickly, that led to something we initially called network security. And and literally, when I wanted to teach the first kind of independence course, independent study course in this thing we called network security, people literally laughed at me. They said, that is the the, you know, the craziest, most paranoid idea. Why would we possibly ever need something called network security? Anyway, fast forward, it became known as information security, became known as cybersecurity. I started the cyber forensics program there at Purdue. And then we did started doing some interesting research very early on in reverse engineering malware. And that's when the FBI heard about the work we were doing. They came and asked me to get a top secret security clearance, which I did. And then I had the privilege of serving as a task force officer for the FBI Cybercrime Task Force. And I served on both the criminal and national security cyber squads for the FBI. And then in 2011, I'd had 20 years of higher ed, wanted to get back to industry. And there was a very fast rising B2C digital marketing company here in Indy named Exact Target. I became their first vice president of information security, got them ISO 27001 certified. And then pretty quickly thereafter in 2013, 
exact target was acquired by Salesforce for $2.7 billion, which was pretty phenomenal for back in 2011. We became the Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and so I was CISO of the Salesforce Marketing Cloud, which became six companies at that point. And then later on, uh, Salesforce kind of reorganized its enterprise security function. I took on a new role to build out security governance, risk management, and compliance for all of Salesforce globally. Did that until December 2019, and then kind of by a a combination of experiences and passions that I built up over the previous 30 years, I decided that we really needed to do something better for small and medium-sized businesses who were suffering terribly, uh, you know, with cybercrime and just a lack of understanding of cyber insurance. And I thought, why can't we just bring this all together into one kind of easy to understand, easy to deliver solution for these you know business owners and CEOs where something other than cybersecurity and cyber insurance is what they worry about on a day-to-day basis. And so that was really the incentive uh, for Trava. Really fascinating career there. And I'd be interested to get your thoughts on something. As you talked about your career, I thought about how important knowing about networking is for new mm. security professionals and getting into the field and and how you have to focus on networking and learn all the networking skills. You started out doing network engineering and then created network security. What's your thoughts on cybersecurity professionals knowing the basics of networking to be successful at their job? I think it's a very good point. When I taught network engineering at Purdue, and, and I wrote like eight college-level textbooks on this stuff, I used to use a phrase that was, follow the bites. In other words, if you can't literally know where the information at a byte level is is going and how it's getting from point A to point B, it's difficult to understand how to secure it. Even today, obviously, I, I work with secure, you know, security engineers and network engineers that understand way more than I do at a detailed level, but I still have to be conversant in that engineering level discussion. And I think any good CISO needs to be as well. So, you know, the the trick to being a, a great CISO, in my opinion, is you have to have a foot in both worlds. You have to be able to talk engineering to the network engineers, and you have to talk dollars and cents to the finance people. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great, great insight. I might have to still follow the bites, uh, Jim. You know, that's a nice that. (laughs) (laughs) I like that a lot. We might have to create a newsletter or something called Follow the Bites here. Follow the bites. You know, think about it. If you don't know where your data is going at that level, how can you protect it? Exactly. No, that's awesome. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about more about trauma. You mentioned like you you saw that there was a need for helping these small businesses, you know, figure out just what is what. I think a lot of uh, founders out there in the cybersecurity space, we're just trying to help people decipher the the, the nonsense that's out there. Talk to us a little bit more about what Trava does and, and why that's an important problem to solve in cybersecurity. You bet. So so let's just talk about a couple of statistics. And, you know, you know, people debate the veracity of them all the time. But, you know, you can't argue with the trends. So you can argue with the numbers I'm going to give you, but you can't argue with the trends, all right? 
And the trends that that really got to me and caused me to be passionate about starting Trava was too many small and medium-sized businesses were being victimized by cybercrime and too large a percentage of small and medium-sized businesses were going out of business as a result of cybercrime. So regardless of the number, what we can say definitively is a disproportionate percentage of small and medium-sized businesses go out of business as a result of a cyber incident as opposed to an enterprise corporation, right? They're just not able to survive for a variety of reasons. One is they're less aware of what needs to be done what what they can do to protect themselves better. So that's one part of the problem that Travel wanted to solve. And then secondly is they're either uninsured or underinsured from a cyber insurance standpoint. Okay. So what we're trying to do at Trava is we try to put ourselves in the seat of that, you know, small, medium-sized business owner, CEO, president, executive, et cetera. They're an expert at something other than cyber insurance and cybersecurity, and they don't have a CISO. They don't have a chief information security officer, all right? They may not even have a chief information officer. So you think about all those missing pieces, right? Unaware of what needs to be done, don't have an in-house CISO, don't have or don't know what they have in terms of cyber insurance. That's what Trava is. That's what Trava tries to deliver in an integrated fashion. So on the assessment piece, we have a software-based risk and vulnerability management platform that is built for what we call the non-security savvy individual. So you don't have to be a security engineer to run and understand and get benefit from our platform. So then it's like, okay, so here's where you are. What do you do about it? Again, we don't want them to have to go out and shop for consultants or hire a bunch of full-time staff. And so we have the expertise to say, okay, here's what you need to do. And then if it's kind of hands-on work, you know, they need an endpoint detection and response tool or multi-factor authentication tool, we've got recommendations for partners that can do that hands-on work. And then the final piece is, and given where you are and the trend and what your risk posture is now, Let's talk about cyber insurance. And yes, you know, they can buy it directly from us. So it's not like they have to then, we're making recommendations, they have to go find someone to buy cyber insurance. It's like, no, we can take care of all of this for you. That's awesome. And I think that's where uh, it's really cool when we first talked a few weeks ago about your platform, because you're bringing real data to that problem. You're bringing real information. It's not how does someone feel or how do you answer a questionnaire? You're able to say, okay, I actually know what's going on. I know the risk that you're facing. Here's the cyber insurance that makes a ton of sense for you. And I think that's what people need, right? You know, they need to be able to get solutions that are based off of real information, real insights. So that's really cool. And you mentioned something in there that I think is a very important distinction for a lot of people that leaders of these companies, they're experts in something else. And there was a second guest on the podcast, gentleman by the name of Jarek Beeson is a CISO at Epic Global. He always says that like most businesses are not in the business of security. That's correct. <laughs> Absolutely right. 
Yeah. And security professionals have to learn, right, to figure out how do I communicate these things to the business? How do I help them understand the business? And I think what you all do at Trava helps accelerate that, especially for these small businesses that can't hire a security professional. They don't have the budget to do that. So they need a tool like yours to to help them get there. Absolutely right. Yeah. And I think, Jim, it would be great to hear from you as well. You know, you've done a lot in this industry. You've grown both on the higher ed side and also in the commercial sector, also in the, the government as well with FBI. As you're looking out and seeing younger cybersecurity professionals that want to become leaders, that want to develop leadership skills, what are some of the things that you think that they should focus on? What are some things that cybersecurity professionals put too much attention on that they need to take a step back and look at other areas to really become good leaders in this field? That's a great question. And and what I would say is, I'll give you another quote here. Cyber risk is business risk and business risk is cyber risk. You can't tear the two apart. And notice what word I use most there, it's risk. And so if you stop and think about it, you know, Risk is kind of the pinnacle of the pyramid in terms of what a CISO needs to be able to communicate. As I said before, yes, they need to talk, you know, technical engineering type concerns with the engineers and they need to talk finance with the finance people. But at the end of the day, a CISO is a risk manager, a cyber risk manager. Believe me, the one thing that every business owner or every CEO understands is risk. They understand business risk. They may not understand cyber risk, but they definitely understand business risk. And so this is why I say cyber risk is business risk. It's not this other technical thing over here, way over there that we hope goes away and it's somebody else's problem, et cetera. No. Cyber risk these days, literally, you don't pay attention to your cyber risk, you will be out of business. And that's why I say cyber risk is business risk. So we often call our platform, you know, notice what we call it first, a risk and vulnerability management platform. Because at the end of the day, kind of the bottom line that comes out of it is what's your cumulative risk posture? Now, Many of our customers want us to help them with their kind of business risk profile. In other words, there's something called enterprise risk management, where you look at financial risk, you look at market risk, you look at people risk, you look at rep- brand and reputation risk, et cetera. Cyber, you know, has a seat at that same table, if you will. Absolutely. That's, uh, that's fair. Do you think, as you've seen the industry transition, it feels like cybersecurity is becoming more important at the board level, but do you think that's translated to like real effort or more of just conversation at this point? So your first point is absolutely correct. Cyber risk, in my experience, is absolutely more in the viewpoint on the agenda of boards of directors of companies of all sizes. Unfortunately, and this is opinion on my part, that's largely because of the headlines. In other words, CISOs in the past failed to kind of get a seat at that table until all the bad publicity was in the headlines. And then all of a sudden, now boards are interested in demanding to hear about 
well, you know, how well are we protected? What is our cybersecurity posture, et cetera, et cetera. That's sort of water under the dam. And in many ways, it doesn't matter. The good news is that boards of directors are now concerned about it. And we should stop there and celebrate that. But absolutely right. But if you think about it, go in order of magnitude. So we already said that the CEO or the business owner is not an expert in cybersecurity. You could go in order of magnitude with a few rare exceptions. Boards of directors know even less about cybersecurity, right? And so therefore, the CISO has to be able to talk. I go back to my earlier point. The CISO has to be able to talk in the language of risk because the things that boards of directors do understand is business risk. Yep, I think that's a great quote. And we might title the episode, Cyber Risk is Business Risk, Business Risk is Cyber Risk. That's a just a strong point. As we think about risk and business risk, I think it's fascinating when I, when I think about that because I tell a lot of CISOs I talk to, you got to put a number to it. You got to be able to say, this is the value. Yeah. Do you see the same thing though? You got to put a number to it for people, those executives to really understand. So that's such a hot debate in cyber risk, right? And so I don't know that there's a right answer. And, and I almost hesitate because there are numbers out there. There are methodologies out there that, that say, oh, well, we're a quantitative, you know, cyber risk management methodology. But if you dig in far enough under the quantification, under the numbers, there are qualitative decisions being made. And, and so you have to be careful of that. However, you know, one of the numbers that sticks out to me, which which is a decent way to look at it, I think, is based on, I believe it's historical cyber loss statistics. There's a number out there that says a given data record is worth $288, all right? Now, you can debate that one way or the other, but, but it's a starting point, right? It's a baseline. So if you say that, then you multiply $288 times however many customer records you're holding on to, that's the value of the, that's the potential risk to your business if you have a data breach. You compare that number to your annual revenue, now you've got a risk factor. It's like, oh my gosh, if we have a data breach and you know it costs me $288 to rectify the situation for every one of those records I lose, and I compare that to my annual revenue, I don't... <laughs> It's obvious I don't have enough cyber insurance right now. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Security has to be contextual, right? You got to put context to it. So to your point, yes. underneath all that quantification, there's always some data that is based off of reality. And that's why I think, uh, again, just coming back to Trava, I think it's just so important, a tool out there that is making you know quantitative decisions, cyber insurance, there's numbers there, but it's based off of context, not based off of just some random standard that might not apply to you, might not apply to your organization because you're a different type. So I think your point there was just so spot on. It's interesting to hear because like you said, there's a lot of frameworks out there. There's a lot of debate in the space about numbers and risk. And there's people that are like all in on it has to be numbers, but mm -hmm. I think you got to have that context. Absolutely right. And you know what? I think you said it early on. One size does not fit all, right? Every business is different. And this idea that everybody should do things the same way and, you know, everybody should have these endorsements on their cyber insurance, it's just not true. 
Yep. So fair. And I think there's some really valuable gems in here for CISOs and people that are going to listen to this of just about what to consider there. And I want to talk a little bit, because obviously this is the to comply or not to comply podcast. I want to talk a little bit about compliance and security and the constant debate in the industry about compliance isn't security or compliance versus security. And it kind of feels at times that they're opposing forces. And I know you all do a lot in the risk and compliance space. A lot of the reasons probably why customers are coming to you is because they have some regulation or somebody that's reaching out to them. What's your thoughts on compliance and security in the industry? And um, where do you think we're headed? Sure. It's a very good question. So first of all, they're absolutely not the same thing. But I do think that people get them confused for legitimate reasons. But they're absolutely not the same thing. So I am not in the camp that says only one but not the other is important. I think they're both important. The difference and kind of the snapshot of reality that I usually talk about in this regard is several large, well-publicized data breaches in the past happened to companies that were compliant, okay? And that's why I say, don't be fooled. You can be compliant. Obviously, they weren't effectively secure. If they were, the breach wouldn't have happened, okay? So that's what I mean by that. So it's two different motivations, right? Compliance is important because we we need we desperately need compliance standards think about the disaster that we in, we'd be in if we didn't have compliance standards to which third party external auditors could hold us accountable it's like every you know every company out there wanting to do business with some other company would have to do their own external audit it's like it's ludicrous right the whole business world would collapse. So compliance is absolutely essential. Compliance standards are absolutely essential. External, you know, independent third-party audit is absolutely essential. However, you know, don't don't confuse, well, you know, I, I got this certification or I got that certification. Don't confuse that with you are therefore secure and your risk is down to a tolerable tolerable or acceptable level. You could be compliant, but you could still have an unacceptable level of risk because it's unknown, because you didn't, you know, do the kind of investigation that you should. You didn't do the level of testing that you needed to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think because of how much it varies on who that external auditor is. What are the things that they're looking at? Are they are they security focused? Are they looking at things that matter from a security perspective? I tell customers all the time, you can go get a SOC 2. You can do it. You can find someone out there that will issue you one and you could be hosted in the cloud and not have one control related to your cloud infrastructure. And yeah, you can say I'm SOC 2 certified, but what does that actually mean? And I think companies have to get away from chasing the certification and just focus on security because when we kind of peel these things back, to me, all the compliance frameworks are saying basically the same stuff. Uh, they're just kind of packaged up differently, right? You're absolutely right. There's an order of events to it. And this is the part that people sort of don't know where the front door is and don't know where to start. The start is with risk management. The start is with risk assessment because if you do a risk assessment, that's saying, where are your risks? For your company, never mind some standard out there, right? And once you understand your risks, then you mitigate those risks. Now 
you're working on the security piece, all right? All right, after the risk management and the security is taken care of, then you do compliance and get the outside certification. The problem is that many companies and many people jump, you know, they go through the compliance front door and that, you know, that's the last stop in, you know, on the train, not the first stop. The first stop is risk assessment. Exactly. 100%. I was actually just telling our marketing director here at ByteCheck that when we start to talk to startups and small businesses, the message has to be be proactive. Because when you decide to be reactive, like you said, you're going after a compliance search. So you're going to skip some very valuable steps to make sure that you're doing things right. I think a lot of founders and startups think about scalability. We're always thinking about how can we scale our company? How can we scale things? But security scalability is important. How are you building your security on early enough that you can scale your organizational security program? Because when you're a five-person shop, one or two engineers, just the CEOs doing all this lot of hand dirty everywhere, it's a lot easier to start establishing some of these gates than when you have 30 engineers, you have 40 engineers, and you're trying to do all the rework because you just went to get a, a SOC 2. So I'm with you, Jim. I think we got to focus on security. I love the way that you broke down the steps there of what people should focus on. So it's a really great insight. This has been amazing, Jim. You packed a lot into a 30 minute conversation of just sharing some very valuable knowledge. I know my the listeners of this podcast are gonna find this valuable. Anything, any last you know, suggestions, tips, guidance for, for the listeners out here? And then as you finish up, tell them where they can reach you and learn more about you. You bet. So I have one more metaphor for you about describing what it means to do compliance first. And you probably heard it before. It's it's not mine. It's been around for a long time. But doing compliance first is like putting a steel door on a grass hut. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> It'll give you a warm feeling inside, but you're missing the point. <laughs> yep. That's awesome. Where can people reach you, Jim? Are you on any of the social networks or, or how can people find you? Sure. So uh, www.traversecurity.com is the best place to start, best place to find us. We have free 30-day trials of our platform, so absolutely take advantage of that. And my email is jim.goldman at travissecurity.com. Happy to talk to anybody. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jim. Thanks for, for being here and spending some time with me. I'm excited to have the listeners hear this. For everyone listening to this, if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and make sure you give us a five-star rating. If you didn't like it, do a five-star rating as well. You know, it doesn't really just give us the five-star. That's all that matters. Um, but I've enjoyed this conversation. I'm looking forward to future ones. And thanks again, Jim, for, for joining us. It was my pleasure, AJ. And thanks for what you do. This is a great service. 